This morning, as we come together to open God's Word to us, we welcome an incredible friend of Orangewood over the last 10 years, Dr. Jim Cofield. Um, Jim has ministered deeply to us um, many, many times, and we welcome him back to our pulpit this morning. Um, Jim is married. He has two sons and one daughter. Um, We have the ladies represented here this morning. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, Jim is head of the counseling program at Reformed Theological Seminary. He has an incredible ministry there of training young men and women to go into our communities to help people um, in the name of Christ. Many of you um, are aware of that and have benefited from it. Um, We're thrilled to have Jim with us this morning as he opens God's Word because Jim always leads us to the Lord Jesus. Jim is real. He's compassionate. Um, We're thrilled to let you know also that you'll be seeing more of Jim around um, this year as he will be teaching a discovering class in the fall, and we look forward to that time. But Jim, thank you for coming and opening God's Word to us this morning. The crowd goes wild. Um, If only half of what he just said was true, that would be great. Um, But you know better, and so I appreciate your grace and kindness to let me uh, chat with you this morning about the Word of God. We are, um, you know, before we talk about God and before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Could we pray together this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and just last week we celebrated your glorious resurrection. The fact that it's all true. And we must confess this morning we find ourselves living a fairly ordinary week. Would you meet us here this morning? in our ordinary lives and help us understand the sacred. Help us live in that tension between the resurrection and the glory to come. Father, you know everybody here. You brought us all here. So would you meet us here and would you change us this morning because we came to your word, we came to you, and we worshiped you this morning. Would you you change us? Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people in this room that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? Father, would you blow through here like a mighty wind this day? We pray in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, It is a tension that we live. The glorious resurrection the, the glorious Easter service. And then we find ourselves living out our weeks and our days. I think most parents feel that tension at times as their kids get older. Uh, for us this week, uh, Mona went to visit a, um, a home for adults with disabilities to see if that might be a place that someday Skylar would be. And I guess our prayer up until this point was that we could outlive him by one day. Probably is not really good planning. And so, um, so but it was, there was a sadness in that. There was a sadness as she looked at that place and said, I wonder if this would be the place that he would be after we're gone. That tension between when we're no longer here with him and, and he has to take, he has to be uh, until the time he gets to glory. And you think of that also with your other kids. I think of Kim who's in college and Pierce who's, thinking about college and, um, 
as they're, as they're wrestling through with their lives. If, have we given them enough? What do they need to remember? Have we given them enough to get from that, from here to there? Well, we all feel that tension. Jesus, we know it's true. We celebrated it last week. He's risen. We sang about it. It was glorious. We remembered the great work on the cross. There's glory. And yet then we live these lives. These lives full of struggle and tension and bills that are struggle getting paid and jobs that don't last and disappointments. And, and, and what do we need? What do we need for this post-resurrection, pre-heaven time? This, this gap, what the theologians would call the already but not yet. The time in which we have been, we've got the righteousness of Christ, we've, got, we've been saved, we are, we are his children, and yet we live in a... You know, and sometimes ordinary, sometimes scared, sometimes difficult times. What do we need? Well, the passage we're going to look at today is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It, it's, it's so rich. Uh, it is such an incredible passage. Simon Kistemeyer could do 20 sermons from this one, this one passage. It is just an amazing, amazing story of, of, in, in John 21. And we're going to, and there, there, you, there are sermons about the different word usage when, when Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? And there's sermons about how many, why there were 153 fish. And there are sermons about all sorts of things in this passage. But we're going to take a step back and say, what was Jesus offering Peter for him to live in that post-resurrection, pre-heaven time? Because maybe that's what you need as well. Maybe what he was offering Peter that day on the shoreline is what you and I need today in, in our lives. In that ordinary tension time, that tension between where we live, what we know to be true. I think you'll find the pat, this, this material to be, I, I found it to be helpful as I, as I thought about what Jesus offered Peter. So the passage is a little bit long. I'd like to read it to you, though. or I guess I'd like to read it with you. It's in your bulletin. It's a little bit long, so just stay with me as we, uh, as we kind of read together. It's the 21st chapter of John. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas... Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, but all night they caught nothing. Just a side note, professional fishermen fishing all night, catching nothing, they'd probably be a little bit frustrated. I'm, I'm just guessing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize him, did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. 
Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon heard Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for it had been taken off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, coals, there was fish on it, and some bread. Some theologians suggest this is not the last supper, but the last breakfast. (laughs) Jesus said to them, bring some fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's the third time he appeared uh, to a group of the disciples. Um, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus then said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were a younger man, you dressed yourself and, when you, and, and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you Where do you want to go? And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Just a few more more sentences and then then we'll talk about it. Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. This is the one that leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if, you, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Stop at that point. I would suggest to you that, that Peter might well have been a little frustrated at this time. Why would I suggest that? This is really, you know, Jesus appeared after the resurrection to the empty tomb. At the empty tomb, he appeared. That was on Resurrection Sunday. To Mary Magdalene in the garden, that was Resurrection Sunday. To the other women, that was on Resurrection Sunday. To the people on the road to Emmaus, Resurrection Sunday. To Peter, Resurrection Sunday. To the 10 disciples in the upper room, Resurrection Sunday. And then we have no, that he does not appear to them again, For a week, to the 11 disciples in the upper room, that's the following Sunday. And then this we know to be the next time he appears to the disciples. Jesus is raised from the dead. It's all true. The cross didn't end the story. Jesus sees Peter, sees the disciples, and then they don't see him for a week. And then they see him, and then he's gone. Now, some theologians would suggest that, 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 that they, went just, they went to Galilee because that is where he, he's told, they're, they're told to meet and they were just being faithful. And that may well be true. Some suggest that the reason they went fishing was because that's what fishermen do and they were hungry. 
But some suggest that there's a futility going on with Peter. That there's a sense of, yeah, it's true, there's a resurrection, but where has he been? Where is he now? I mean, it's all true. Why, why is it so, why have I only seen him? <coughs> why have I only seen him this time? When will he come again? When will I see him again? He promised that, when will we see him again? When will the promises come true? When? And so there's, there's a sense that Peter might be a little frustrated at this point. And he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. We always go back to what we know. We're always faithful to the places where we have found life in our past. And so Peter goes back to fish. Now, I would suggest to you that there's at least four things that Jesus offers Peter at this time to help him through the time between Resurrection Sunday and glory. And I would suggest that, uh, and so we'll look at those four things. Maybe when you study that this week, you'll say, well, there's 10 things, there's 15 things. This is such a rich passage. Please read this over and over this week. It's a rich, rich passage. But I would suggest the first thing that Jesus reminds Peter is who his identity is in. Peter saw his identity as being a fisherman. See, we build our identity on kind of usually two things. People either build their identity on performance. That's what I do. I'm good at this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. I can fish. Things aren't going well, but at least I can fish. I haven't caught anything all night. How's that identity based on performance going, Peter? Not too well. How's your identity based on performance going? Oh, maybe when you're young, you think you can still hustle it up. Maybe you can plus all the minuses by working real hard, plus all the minuses by getting all the things done. (laughs) But as you get older, you realize there's just not enough pluses for all the minuses. And all the performance in the world just makes you tired. And that somehow when your identity is wrapped up in what you do, you fall short. Second place I see people putting their identity is in shame. Their, Their identity is based on what's been done to them wrong or what they've done wrong. And they build their identity on shame. I'm nothing. I'm stupid. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm horrible. I'm, I'm bad. I'll never amount to this or that. Shame is an incredible master and an incredible provider of identity. People wrap their whole identity around how they see themselves. How you see yourself really will determine much of how you live. That's why it's important for us to understand how Jesus sees us. It's really interesting in this passage. Jesus calls Peter by his old name. Now, naming is a big deal in kind of a Hebrew understanding. I mean, we name kids based on kind of what sounds good with our names. We'll call him Cheyenne. We'll call her Dakota. You know, not because we love the West or something, but because it sounds good with our names. In the Hebrew understanding of a name, people live in the names. And often in the Bible, God will talk about changing someone's name as if it's changing their identity. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes uh, Saul becomes, and Simon becomes Peter. There's something in the Bible about the idea that, that when, when you change your name, you change who you are, your identity, what you live out of, what defines you. I'm no longer this, I'm this. People often talk about 
What, what really changes when you become a Christian? In one sense, please hear the whole context of what I'm going to say. In one sense, nothing. In one sense, everything. Now, I'm an adoptive father. And I remember when we went to the courthouse uh, for one of our adoptions. And if you had watched us coming in on the security cameras and walking out, you would say nothing really changed. You would say the child was wearing the same clothes going in as they came out. The child was just as fussy going in as he went out. The child didn't change their personality or their temperament didn't change. And in some ways, nothing changed that day when the judge said, you now belong to them. You're now theirs. In one way, nothing changed. Oh, but in one way, everything changed. Because when we walked into that courthouse, he was an orphan. When we walked out of a courthouse, he's my son. So in one sense, everything changed because his identity changed. What do you grab your identity in? What do you make your identity from? Is it from your performance? Peter wasn't doing very well with that. He didn't, went back to fishing. Didn't catch anything all night. Is it your shame? Oh, Peter knows that he denied Jesus. So Jesus calls him by his old name. As if to say, Peter, you're living out of your old identity. Let me remind you whose you are. Let me remind you that you are, you're really Simon, Peter. You're not Simon the old fisherman. But you have a task to do in the kingdom of God and my glory because you're my, my son. You've got to understand your identity. If you're going to make it from Resurrection Sunday to glory, and that already but not yet, you need to remember your identity. You need to remember how specific Jesus was with Peter this day. Peter denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? As if each time to say, all that's behind us. Oh, Peter was, I'm sure, thinking, I'm disqualified to really lead. But Jesus says, no, I want you to feed my sheep. You see, your identity, your identity is what you live out of. You can base it on what you do, your performance. You'll just end up tired. Or you can live out of your shame, because we all have so many mistakes we've made. We have so many secrets. We've lived for such lesser things in our lives. We all have, we all have blanks that we'd fill in. We'd say that if I get this, then I'd be happy. If only this would happen, I'd be happy. If only this, then my life would be okay. We kind of set our identity on, on things that'll fill in the blanks. You know what one of mine is right now? Confession. A Cam-Am motorcycle. Now, I don't know if you've seen these things, but there are these, these three-wheeled motorcycles with two wheels in the front and one in the back. They seem fascinating to me. And I've, I've been looking through the catalogs and getting online and looking at there. Like, and, and, 
And you know what? There's times when I actually believe if I only had that, then everything would be okay. (laughs) How shallow could life be? You see, we're always trying to fill in the blank with something lesser than what God is offering. We're all trying to grab something that that we think is going to plus the minuses. And he says, oh, there aren't any minuses anymore because of the work that I've done. And we're too busy trying to fill in the blanks with our little things, our little tasks, and covering up our shame and covering up our struggles when he's already taken care of that. So the first thing I would suggest that you need, if you're going to live in that place between the Resurrection Sunday and the glorious day we get all home is you need to remember your identity. That's the first thing he offers Peter. He reminds him who he is. Not to live out of your old name, Simon. No. You're my beloved. Second thing I would suggest that you need is not only to be reminded of your identity, need to be reminded of that your affection matters. Your affection matters. What you love is is incredibly personal and it will determine how you live your life. So many of us love the idea of goodness or the idea of Jesus or the idea of a church or the idea of a good theology. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I want you to love the Bible. I want you to love your, your church. I want you to, 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 to look at rich, good theology and think about those things. But that's not what will get you between resurrection and glory. What will get you between there is a personal love for Jesus. The question is not, do you love theology? Do you love the church? Do you love a philosophy? It's incredibly personal. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? The sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We do this in remembrance of him. It's personal. It's not ritual. It's personal. When Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus, what does he say to Paul? Does he say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting the people that love me? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because it's personal. And Jesus looks at Peter in the eye and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Not do you love my ideas. Not do you love my philosophy. Not do you love what would be good if the society followed what I said. But do you personally, do you love me? See, that's the question. Because if you're going to get through the ordinary struggles of life, if you're going to get through the, the hard days, the long nights, if you're going to get through that, you don't need philosophy. You need to love Jesus, and it is personal. It is personal. Do you love me? He asked him three times. Now, 
good theologians have written so much about these, this, these, these three questions. There's sermons just from the way that, that the wording it changes in this. We're not going to focus on that this morning, though it's well worth looking at. But initially, Jesus uses a, an agape to talk about the type of love that he has. And Peter answers with a, with, with a, with a more brotherly love. He says, yes, I, I love you. No, do you agape me? Do you really love me? And then Peter answers with, yes, I, 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 I love you in a more brotherly, filial way. And then Jesus then changes and uses that word to, to use the same word that Peter is using. To make it personal, Peter, do you love me like a brother? Do you love me? And the answer, yes, you know everything. You're not disqualified from ministry because you've denied him. You're not disqualified from ministry because you've messed up. You're not disqualified from ministry because you are pretending about half the time. Because if you were, that disqualify all of us. What qualifies you for ministry is the simple answer to that question of Jesus on the shore looking at you in the eyes and saying, do you love me? Do you love me? So I would suggest that what Jesus gave Peter that day to live between the resurrection and glory What did he need? He needed to be reminded of his identity. He needed to be reminded that his affection really mattered. We really do sacrifice for what we love. We really do give to what we love. Sometimes we just are committed to loving the wrong thing. My, uh, my, my daughter's a little bit like Peter. Um, she's just full of life, loves Jesus, and is really spontaneous. And, and what's really interesting about her is that the way she deals with love, she just loves love. I mean, she'll, she'll, she'll start dating somebody, and then she just jumps in the deep end. It's like... And, and there's a part of her that just loves love. I mean, she just loves love. I just want love. She, she gets so excited about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, she wants it to be this perfect, I mean, Hallmark sort of deal. You know, and we're just going, ah, our family is kind of ordinary. But okay, we'll, you know, we're, 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 we'll be a Hallmark card. She just loves love. You see, what you love will motivate what you do. And Jesus knows that for Peter. And he wants to remind him, Peter just loves adventure. Peter loves stuff. He loves to just get in there and jump into the water and pull the... So it was really important that Peter was reminded not only about his identity, but about his affections. Thirdly, I'd I'd like to suggest to you that Peter is also given not just reminded of his identity, not just reminded of his personal affection, but also given him intentional focus. What should he focus on? What are you going to focus on between, now that you know your identity is in me, Christ, now that you know that, now, now, 
have your affection be to me? What's your focus going to be? Sheep. It's, it's kind of funny. I don't, I don't think Jesus commands. He, he often doesn't ask us to love until we realize we can't love on our own. And so Peter is asked to love after Peter has failed at loving. Sometimes in the failure of loving is the incredible fertile soil that God uses to grow someone who loves tenderly. Because it doesn't come from a sense of, I'm doing this for you, but comes from a very broken place of God must do this through me. And so after Peter understands his affection is to Jesus, then Jesus says, okay, now that that's settled, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So once we've handled our identity and once we've handled our affection, he then gives us a focus. What should you focus on? You ought to be sheep focused. Where are the sheep? They're sitting next to you. We're right here. He would ask you to be focused on the unloving, the people he brings before you. Focus on the sheep. Give you a purpose. Be devout. Be be disciplined. But let your focus be that on on ministering. You're all ministers. Sometimes what we do is we'll pay somebody like, we'll pay a missionary, we'll pay a Jeff, we'll pay somebody, and they're going to be the ones that do all the caring for others. No, 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 we all are called to a, to a ministry of feeding the sheep. You see, he gives us a focus. So not only would I suggest to you that it's what's going to get you from the resurrection to glory is identity in Christ, affection for Christ, a focus on the sheep. Lastly, I'd like you to notice the tendency that we all have um, for a, a dangerous attraction. Notice what happens after this interchange with Jesus. Peter is sitting there, and then what does he do? Peter notices what? He looks away and sees John and says, what about him? What about him? Oh, be aware what's going what's to mess up this journey between this journey to glory that we're on. What's going to mess this journey of glory that on is, is if you spend the rest of your time comparing yourself to everybody else along the road. If you if you spend your time comparing everybody else, you'll, it's just a dangerous, dangerous thing. You, you, should pray for, you should pray for the Warrens, Rick Warren and his wife, Amy, I believe, Kay. Um, the, their, their son committed suicide yesterday, and, uh, and they've, uh, they've been, um, been struggling, obviously, through that. But you see, can I confess to you how much I just 
focus on the wrong thing? I would hope that, I hope it's only a small percentage, but there's a little me, a little bit of me that thought, I wonder what they did wrong. I wonder what they did wrong. I wonder what's really going on with them. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. That is a, that is looking at somebody else and comparing when what we should be doing is being concerned about them, how they're doing. You see, this comparison stuff will kill you. It'll just wear you out. It'll destroy you. And so Jesus' answer to Peter is so delightful. He just says, essentially, I'll take care of him. That's for me to worry with. You follow me. You want to live by performance? You can. Or you can live by shame. The only thing that trumps shame is hatred. Hatred at yourself or others or God. But shame is ultimately trumped completely by the truth of the gospel, your identity in Christ. That's the first thing you need. The second thing you need is to know where your affection lies because you will sacrifice for what you love and know that in the Christian faith, it is personal. Third, there's a purpose that you have. You have a purpose. It's not just to endure. It's not just to get through. It's a purpose to feed the sheep. And there are hungry sheep everywhere. And please, see the lesson. And remember the voice of God. To, remember the voice of Jesus to Peter as you look and compare yourself to others. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. I'll worry with them. You, 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 Orangewood, you, put your name there. You follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just admit to you that, just admit to you that we often get lost and caught up in our little shame-based, performance-based lives. Would you meet us on the shoreline this morning? As we come up from our own futility of life not working on our terms, would you let us see you this morning on the shore calling us to breakfast? calling us to an intimate conversation that invites us to see ourselves differently. To see you differently. To be about your tasks. And quit worrying about what everybody else does. Oh, Father. Thank you for giving these things to Peter that day on the shoreline. And now, give those to us here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.